Welcome to Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents Making money moves with the finest of gents Come and pull up a seat cause we're proud to present How to make some good decisions when you're on the fence Rob and Steve gonna tell you how to do it the best Hello and welcome to another episode of Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents I am one of the gents, I am Robert Wolfson And I'm Stephen Ellis Are you not one of the gents, Steve? I am the gent, in fact, Rob Quotation marks. You were doing the quotation marks when you said the. The listeners yeah. couldn't see no, that. No, you do the quotation marks. I'm not I'm not an air quote guy. You're the air quote guy. Sometimes. Yeah. I'll be I'll be the gent and you be the air quote guy. The air quote gent? <laughs> <laughs> you keep you keep adding gent back to your name. You're really you're really obsessed with this. I guess it is we are we are the gents. Personally though, I haven't had anyone on the street stop me and say, Hey, are you one of the gents? When's that gonna start happening? Yeah, you're right. Me either, come to think of it. When does the fame hit? As soon as Netflix sponsors us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, still waiting for that Netflix sponsorship. Anyway, Rob, uh, kind of a crazy time again. Breaking news. Lockdown number three. Yeah, I guess it's not technically a full lockdown here in Alberta, but we're moving back a stage anyway. Yeah, some of the provinces have more significant restrictions than we do here in Alberta. But hopefully now that we're moving back into our stage one, that it doesn't need to get more um, serious than what it is now from a lockdown perspective and businesses can stay open and cases get back in control again. Yeah, I hope this is as far backwards as as we move and we don't have to take another step back here before hopefully moving forward with vaccinations picking up now. I think that's that's really the message we got from, you know, government and Dina Hinshaw here in Alberta was was really just... The fact that we're nearing the finish line, but right now the variants are are, are beating the the vaccine, so to speak. Um, we just need a bit more time to get needles in arms. So hopefully we can do that. Exactly. Yeah, you know, Rob. Obviously, everyone's got some air quote COVID fatigue. I'm stealing an air quote from you, but yeah, I, I think you know I'm looking forward to things returning to to normal, if you want to call it that, the so-called new normal. Uh, but, you know, we hope that this podcast has at least provided you a little bit of reprieve from whatever you're going through, you know, half an hour at a time. Exactly. And with the weather turning and definitely spring is around the corner, people can get outdoors and get some fresh air and be active and... and golf season. 100%. Rob was showing me his golf swing this morning. Looked pretty good. Looked pretty good. Felt pretty good. Can't wait to hit some balls. <laughs> yeah. And have a club when you're doing it. <laughs> That's right. He was showing me his swing without a club. So, you know, it can look very different. It's like going to the driving range and you're just crushing the drive. And then you get out on the course and just it just doesn't work the same way. Like as soon as you get a club in your hand. I, I, I expect it's going to look exactly the same for you though, Rob. I guess it's almost like the air quotes on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, the air club. You had the air club today. That's right. Yeah, how appropriate. A few of the courses are opening up though. I've seen some people out there playing with the weather being pretty good. Um, So definitely it's making me excited to get out and hit the links. So Rob, enough about golf and COVID. Let's talk about our topic for the podcast today, which is the history of stock markets or stock exchanges. I think it's a pretty exciting topic. I, I, I consider myself a little bit of a history buff. And I was actually listening to a podcast on how currency was created, physical money was created. And it got me thinking about the history of the stock markets and how that sort of came to be as well. So, you know, in doing a little bit of research, you and I talked a little bit about it. And we both realized that 
we didn't really know a lot about the history of, of the stock markets. You know, the, the birth of the New York Stock Exchange and the TSX, but little beyond that. So it was, it was a good exercise to kind of go through and, and figure out what the, the birth of the stock exchanges actually looked like. All right, so a lot of this information I'm sure can be disputed historically. But what we found is there was a lot of material that suggested that the stock market really started in about the 1500s. There were some resources that we looked at that suggested it started in the 1400s. We also actually found what looks to be maybe arguably the first exchange in the 1300s, and that was in Venice. I think, Steve, one of the reasons why the actual official date is a bit up for dispute is because it's not what we think about today as the stock market with shares of companies trading hands. It dates back to more uh, the Venetian moneylenders when they actually started to sell their debt issues between uh, different lenders. Yeah, and actually there is a little bit of crossover between that and the, the other podcast that I was listening to, which was referring to currency, where they actually talk about the first currency essentially being credit. So very similar in that way. So in short, in, in Venice, again in the 1300s, lenders would actually carry slates with information on various issues for sale and they'd meet with clients, much like you know we would today, to essentially sell the debt issues. Uh, and that really sort of started the, the idea of, if you want to call it an exchange, right? not necessarily a stock exchange, but that's where the, the idea of an exchange really seems, seems to have started historically when we look at the data that we did find. And Rob, from there, we, we really just jump ahead data-wise to the 1400s. Yeah, so fast forward about a century and in the late 1400s, early 1500s, uh, in the Antwerp uh, region, currently modern-day Belgium, really became the center of international trading. A lot of the merchants would buy goods anticipating that those prices would rise and they would try to sell them to net a profit. And so this is where some of that trading occurred. And a lot of the trading also was dealt more exclusively in promissory notes and bonds. Yeah, I mean, Rob, in the 1500s, we didn't have stocks to speak of as we know them today. Again, it comes back to what we said about Venice, where it seemed to be more around debt. Yeah, it wasn't really lending. taking companies and valuing those companies and trying to get a worth of industry. It was more about, yeah, the promissory notes, the debt, and the liabilities and promissory notes. So fast forward again. We're jumping about 100 years at a time here, and we realize a lot obviously happened within those uh, time periods. So if we jump ahead to the early 1600s, what we found was the Dutch, British, and French governments all gave charters to companies with East India in their names. And what these companies were doing was essentially going to India and Asia uh, and bringing back goods. And these voyages that took place by sea were obviously extremely risky with the threat of piracy, uh, weather, and, and poor navigation. So to lessen the risk of a lost ship ruining their fortunes, ship owners had long been in the practice of seeking investors who'd put up money for the voyage. Uh, and that would outfit the ship and crew in return for a percentage of the proceeds if that voyage was successful. Early on, though, investors essentially were only investing in a single voyage. And in order to diversify, would actually have to invest in several voyages. When the East India companies were created, 
uh, they changed the way business was done. These companies issued stock that would pay dividends on the proceeds from all the voyages the companies undertook, rather than going voyage by voyage. Uh, these were the first modern joint stock companies. This allowed the companies to demand more for their shares and essentially build larger fleets as a result. So more like what we see today in terms of stock, right? Investing in companies so they're able to grow. Exactly, Stephen. But because of these shares of the various East Indian companies were issued on paper, like a stock certificate, like we think of today, yeah. the investors could actually sell those papers to the other investors. So that's where your market is. You have a buyer and a seller. But unfortunately, there was no stock exchange like we think of today in, in existence. So that investor would actually have to go and track down a broker to carry out the trade. In London, most brokers and investors did their business in various coffee shops around London. And the debt issues and shares for sale were written up and posted on the shop's doors or mailed out as a newsletter. Yeah, Rob, you know, I actually found this part really interesting, just sort of imagining in my mind what that must have been like, you know, in the coffee shop and having those those notes posted in, in the window. It's almost like the start of what would become the ticker tape. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you couldn't just turn on the TV or turn on, go onto your Apple Finance app to go see what prices of stocks were. You would actually have to go down to the coffee shop, to the area where all the brokers were situated and get a sense of uh, the different offers for companies. Yeah, it just makes you realize how much more effort was involved to go through that process. So the natural place for this stock trading activity to take place in London was at the Royal Exchange, which at that time was the center of commerce in the city for over 100 years. Around the time that stock trading and stock brokers started to catch up in London, there's also new regulations along with their perceived rudeness ended up driving out uh, the new stock brokers who actually had to relocate a short distance away uh, to different coffee houses. Several other coffee houses in the area also took in these stock brokers as well as their customers and this area became known as Exchange Alley. Now these coffee houses were the forerunner of the London Stock Exchange. One of them, Lloyd's Coffee Shop, grew to become Lloyd's of London, one of the world's greatest, largest insurance underwriters. And Rob, sorry to interrupt you there. That was another thing when we were looking at that I found extremely interesting was that Lloyd's of London was actually a coffee shop at one point. Yeah, that's Just, right. Again, news to me, but, but really quite interesting. Did you know that ahead of time? I did not, actually. No, I wonder how many people really do. Again, that was news to me, and I found that extremely interesting. So, as you were mentioning, Steve, these coffee houses posted the securities trading prices on their boards and patrons would visit to trade their securities. And it wasn't until 1801, a century after Exchange Alley was founded, that the London Stock Exchange was founded. And while some stock traders were initially reluctant to make the move, before too long, the London Stock Exchange became the centre of financial trading in the city. So around that time of the official founding of the London Stock Exchange, the first securities became traded in the United States by way of the Buttonwood Agreement of 1792. Government bonds were initially traded along with stock of a handful of banks. Yeah, Rob, the Buttonwood Agreement was made in 1792 between 24 stockbrokers and merchants on Wall Street, which, as we know, is in New York City, in an effort to create a local stock exchange. At that time, the brokers based in the U.S. were generally trading on the European trading systems uh, and were looking for something, again, more local that they could utilize for trading. This agreement actually came out as a result of the financial panic of 1792, whereby financial commitments were not being honored. 
and fear was spreading that the companies wouldn't remain solvent. So as a result, uh, panic selling happened. We see that a lot to this day. So we can we can safely say things haven't changed a whole heck of a lot since 1792. Uh, but the Buttonwood Agreement was an effort to reestablish trust in the marketplace. By closing off the system, essentially, they were able to only work within a select group of, of people uh, that they trusted, and that helped to ensure that payments would be honored and investments were, in fact, legitimate. It's actually believed that this particular agreement was the forerunner to the New York Stock Exchange. Also, Rob, just one interesting fact. The reason it's called the Buttonwood Agreement is that it was believed to be signed under a Buttonwood tree. Interesting. So similar to what happened in London, the precursor of the New York Stock Exchange got its start also at a coffee house. But in this case, they decided to rent out a dedicated trading space fairly early in their history. The organization expanded early in the 19th century to become the New York Stock and Exchange Board in 1817, later to be known simply as the New York Stock Exchange or the NYSE. Now, the NYSE, of course, quickly became the dominant market among American stock markets. Fast forward to about 1864, and then a new and stronger competitor emerged on the scene. The Open Board of Stockbrokers was created, and they offered a more modern system of financial trading and quickly grew to having almost as many members as the NYSE. Now, the response from the New York Stock Exchange was to merge them about five years later. So, of course, now there are several major stock exchanges located all around the world. And I think that might actually be a great idea for our next podcast, Steve. So, Rob, we're overlapping a little bit here, but I wanted to just go back and talk about the British East India Company again. Uh, because I mentioned how in the U.S. Uh, the Buttonwood Agreement came out of... Uh, potentially a lack of trust and insolvency and lack of payment and so on. So in looking at that, how did that come about and, and why did that condition exist that caused them to look at some other options? And what we find is, is that uh, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, the British East India Company had a bit of a monopoly and investors began to receive huge dividends and they were selling their shares for fortune. So other investors were hungry for a piece of the action. And as a result of that, there was a huge financial boom in, in England and it came on very quickly. And of course, when that happened, there were very little in the way of rules and regulations for issuing shares. So what happens is that essentially uh, we saw the South Seas Company emerge and its shares and numerous reissues sold as soon as they were listed before the first ship ever left the harbor. The South Seas Company used its newfound investor fortune to open plush offices in parts of London. Sound familiar, Rob? When you look back historically and you start seeing some of these things, you can apply them to modern day and you realize that it's history repeating itself, as they say. Yeah, there is a famous expression, Steve. History doesn't necessarily repeat, but it definitely rhymes. Now, what happened from there is that encouraged by the success of the South Seas Company and realizing that the company hadn't done a thing except issue shares, other, air quote, businessmen or companies rushed in to offer new shares on their own ventures. And in some cases, the business itself was never even revealed. You know, the business model never discussed what the company did, didn't matter. You know, people just really had kind of a blind spot. So 
what we ended up seeing is essentially the bubble burst. The South Seas company uh, didn't pay any dividends. It had very little in the way of profits. And obviously, the, the business failed and investors lost lots of money. So people started to realize that all these other companies were likely in the same situation. As a result, what we actually saw was that the government outlawed the issuing of shares and that, that ban actually um, was in place until 1825. Now, I realize we're jumping back and forth a little bit here, Rob, but it does do that. It, it overlaps, so you sort of have to do that. No, it does. So let's go back across the pond, back to America, to the New York Stock Exchange. That took centuries to become what it is today. In 1817, the Buttonwood traders, as you mentioned, observed and visited the Philadelphia Merchants Exchange to mimic their model and creating uh, the New York Stock and Exchange Board. The members had a dress code and they had to gain a seat in the exchange. They also had to pay a fee, which increased from $25 to about $100 by 1837, so about 20 years later. And then after the Great Fire of 1835, which wiped out about 700 buildings in lower Manhattan, Wall Street suffered a significant property loss. But fortunately, Samuel Morse opened a telegraph demonstration office, I'm assuming that's Morse code, uh, which allowed brokerages to communicate remotely. Yeah, so as much as the New York Stock Exchange is what everyone thinks about, it was actually the Philadelphia Exchange that was the first exchange in America, but Wall Street and the New York Stock Exchange quickly took over for volume and popularity. In 1903, the doors of the New York Stock Exchange opened with hundreds of stock certificates held underground in their vaults. The stock market surged and hit a 50% high in 1928, despite indications of an economic downturn. And then 1929, I think we all know this, uh, the market dropped 11% in an event which we know today as Black Thursday. The drop in the market caused investors to panic, and it took all of the 1930s to recover from the crash. And of course, this period is known as the Great Depression. So one of the things we always tell people, Rob, is we're going to experience stock market crashes or bear markets, as, as we often refer to them. And when we start looking at history, we see that, that there's evidence of, of crashes dating back essentially to the very beginning uh, when it comes to stock markets. So, you know, we often say they're going to continue to happen and the next one will be for a different reason. When we talked about 08, he said this will happen again and it will be for a different reason and of course we've seen it again and it was due to obviously something unforeseen such as as COVID. So history really tells us a lot and I think when we delve into history we, we realize that stock market crashes are really an inevitability and don't often repeat for the same reason but they certainly do repeat or rhyme as you like to say. Yeah. So really, Rob, that sums it up. I mean, obviously, we could go into a lot more detail. And like you said, I think maybe in our next episode, we can look at the different exchanges and when they started and how they came to be. Yeah, just like when we we're doing our research for this episode, once you start to look into all of the different countries and regions around the world, you realize there's lots of exchanges and indices that we don't necessarily pay attention to. Yeah, and as I mentioned, looking into this, I found extremely intriguing, even just a couple of bullet points. The coffee shops, you know, really grassroots. And, and I find that extremely intriguing to just kind of see how far we've come. I mean, we really have come a long way. Absolutely. And you always think about New York, of course, and London, naturally, that's a, a huge financial hub. But the fact that really the first, uh, what we know today is our modern stock market started in Amsterdam. I thought that was very interesting. 
you know, and Rob, if if Lloyd's Coffee Shop can become Lloyd's of London, you know, maybe Tim Hortons can do the same. Tim's of Canada. Give me a call. I'll be the next CEO. You don't need to roll out the red carpet for me, Tim's. You just need to roll up the rim. All right. How many bad jokes can I throw throw at everyone before we sign off today, Rob? Apologies to everybody out there. I do it more for your benefit, Rob, because I know you really appreciate my sense of humor. And I do appreciate a Starbucks. Yes, you do. Not a Tim's. No, I'm not a Tim's guy. That's why you're not going to work for a Tim's of Canada. That's true. Although yeah, I was going to offer you the CFO position, but you're just not a, you're just not a Tim's guy, so can't happen. Yeah, I can't be the Tim's guy walking across to get a Starbucks. It'd be like <laughs> it'd be like the Coke driver drinking a Pepsi. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Rob, obviously just a quick run through on the history, but I think really interesting. Super interesting. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Yeah, I hope everyone found it as interesting as as we do. So are we all done, Rob? I think that's that, it. That about wraps it up. This episode is history. Boo. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Rob. Come on, Steve. We're trying to attract listeners, not repel them. Yeah, I'm probably not contributing to the former. I'm actually thinking, Rob, of creating a second podcast, a comedy podcast. What do you think? Stick to your day job. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I should focus on being the CEO of, of Tim's of Canada. Tim's of Canada. Yeah. The new place where we can get stock market quotes. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure what the business model is going to be just quite yet. <laughs> so in between all of the prices of coffee and sandwiches on the menu will be all of the ticker tape symbols as well. That's right, Rob. Thanks for the idea, even though you're not coming to work for the company. No. We do really hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, we've stumbled across these couple topics, and we think they're interesting. But, of course, we want to know what you think is interesting. So let us know. Yeah, give us topic suggestions. And as always, check out our website, ellisfinancialgroup.ca you can find us on LinkedIn as always Robert Wolfson and Stephen with a PH Ellis finally just keep listening to the podcast we, we like doing it as you can tell we enjoy it and hope you're enjoying it on the other end as well so as always I'm Stephen Ellis and I'm Robert Wolfson and we are a couple of gents and we'll talk to you again soon